Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, family, how y'all doing? Mm-hmm. Let me get y'all to talk to me a little bit. During this time of year, there's a lot of hustle and bustle. How many of y'all been hustling around? Hustling around. It's a lot of hustle and bustle. It's a new year, new me, all that good stuff. We're trying to get our lives together. And so many of us, we join a gym. How many of y'all joined the gym this week? How many of y'all start going to the gym this week? Y'all ain't gonna be honest with me this morning. You started going to the gym, okay. You're trying to get in shape. We start housework, we, we do new habits. We start that read your Bible in one year plan. How many of y'all got a new Bible plan? Come on now, just be honest with me. Y'all got a new Bible plan. We do that every year. And see, sometimes as we make these resolutions, they may last us a few days, but we do all of these things to make this year better than the last year. We wanna make it different. And hear me, family, these are not bad things. Resolutions and all these efforts to have a better year than the last year, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to want to make things better, to, to better your life and to get things together, which is why we named this series Get Your Life Right. We're going to get your life right. And so that's what we want to do. We want to help you on that track and just kind of in these, four, these short three weeks, uh, this is going to be a series. We're not going to cover everything. I'm not going to give you every 10 tab bit to make sure you get your life together and all this. But hopefully through this, we'll give you some tools and some biblical precedent for taking care of yourself as you start the new year. Some of us don't think that self-care is biblical. It is. And so today I want you to flip your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. We're not going to, before all my Bible thumpers and my theologians get mad at me today, I'm not going to expositorily preach this text where I'm going to take every word in here and line by line preach it like that, okay? So don't y'all get mad at me. This is going to be the theme for our series, okay? So everybody say theme. Theme. Matthew chapter 22 verses 34 through 40. As we read that, once you stand your feet with me if you're able, as we honor the word of God. Verses 34 through 40. If you got it, go ahead and say got it. Starting in verse 34, the text reads, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to text him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Very word of God. Amen. Today I want to preach on biblical self-care. You say that? Biblical self-care. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. We thank you for all that you've done in our midst. We thank you for bringing us to this place. God, 
I just ask that, that you would decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Father, have your way. Let people hear from you, not from me. We need a word from you, Jesus. May you be lifted up here. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Today we're going to talk about self-care. Well, we're going to look at three different things. If you got a pen out or a paper, you can write these down. Three different things. Number one, why we need to care for ourselves, or is it biblical? Number two, how do we do it? And number three, the outcome of self-care. Again, I'm going to get those again to you. Number one, why we need to care for ourselves, or is it biblical? Number two, how do we do it? And number three, the outcome of self-care. Now, this is a topic that I believe in our society has been highly overvalued on one hand, but on the other hand, I think it's been highly undervalued also, which means that we have not managed the tension well. You've heard me talk about this before if you've been at Renewal. Christians, we don't do a good job of managing tensions well. When something happens to society or culture, what ends up, we react and we, we go to extremes. We, we swing the pendulum way too far to the right or we swing it all the way to the left. We react in extremes. And so when I said we're going to talk about self-care this morning, I would venture to say that some of y'all started squirming in your seats a bit. The reason why is because you grew up in a Christian home where it was never talked about to care about yourself. It was give yourself away. Give yourself away. Do this and do that. So you don't want to hear about self-love anymore. You don't want to hear about self-care anymore. Or you just high on the horse. You're, just, you're zealous for Jesus right now. I'm going to give myself away. I'm going to give myself away. You don't want to hear about that. You're tired of people talking about that. But on the other hand, there's some of y'all that your ears perked up like, oh, we got to talk about self-care because the only thing you care about right now is loving yourself and caring for yourself. If we're honest. And so if you missed it, the reality is that we, we swing it way too far to the right or far to the left. We react in extremes. We don't know how to manage tensions well. Hear me, as Americans, we're one of the hardest working, listen to this, working wealthiest nations in the world, but at the same time, we have one of the highest suicide rates, we have one of the highest depression rates, and we have one of the highest obesity rates. I think it's safe to say that we as Christians need to talk about how to navigate this self-care issue. I mean, listen to this. In 2010, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, let's listen, counted 65.7% of American adults as overweight and 17% of American children. And according to the CDC, 63% of teenage girls become overweight by age 11. The organization estimates that three-fourths of the American population will be likely overweight by 2020. That's now. Also, there's this forecast based on early long-term trends suggesting that more than 85% of adults will be overweight or obese in the U.S. by 2030. Simply put, y'all, there is a lack of self-care or care for oneself. It's an issue here in America. It's a big issue. 
We're a stressed out nation. How many of y'all were stressed this week? My hand is raised because I was one of them. Y'all can be honest. Y'all been stressed out about something this week. How many of y'all been stressed? It's okay to be honest this morning. We've been stressed out. We're stressed out all the time. And we don't have hobbies anymore. We don't know how to vacation or do downtime. And a friend of mine, he told me, he said this. He said, man, you got to treat vacations like drinking water. He said, how many of y'all know this? When you're drinking water and you're, you're, you're thirsty, when you're thirsty, you're already slightly dehydrated. He said, it's kind of like that with vacations. If you're at the point where you're like, I got to take a vacation, I got to take a vacation, it may be a little too late. You see, so, so, so with all of this, what's happened is that, don't miss this, is that we've reduced self-care to more of a diversion from reality than truly caring for ourselves. Or what we do is we try to attempt or, or to supply structure to, and discipline to me time. Clinically, self-care has to do with anyone, anything, something, or someone might uh, for the sake of their own physical or mental health is something that they would do, including, for instance, eating well, exercising, or sleeping eight hours a night. Some other things, look at this list. Starting, start eat health, eating healthier. Number two, work out regularly. Three, reduce stress. Prioritize or schedule your time better. I like how it's so easy. Relax. Practice mindfulness. Here's the best one. Be good to yourself. What? I mean, all of these are great, but there's something that's missing in them. See, none of them get to your heart or what's really or maybe causing you stress. Why are we so stressed? Why can't we relax? They're all good, but they're diversions. So hear me, we need to work out. We need to be good to ourselves. We need to eat healthier. But all of this has to be rooted in something far better or far greater than the belief of I have to love myself because here's the issue in America. A lot of us are struggling with identity problems and we don't really know how to love ourselves so we don't know how to treat ourselves better because here's the reality. If you don't know God, then you're not gonna know how to truly love yourself. You have to know God who truly intimately stitched you together in your mother's womb, putting you together, thinking about every part of you, all the little hairs on your head. He thought about all of that when he creatively put you and created you in your mother's stomach, in your mother's womb. And in order, don't miss it, to love yourself, you got to love God first. You got to know him. But don't hear me saying that don't hear me wrong, because just having a quiet time with God is not the only thing you need to do to care for yourself. You need time with God. You need a quiet time. Knowing him is the beginning, and it's the most important, but there has to be intentionality on one's part also. You got to live this thing out. The Bible says in Mark 1.35, look at it with me. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, he went out to a solitary place where he prayed. Here we see Jesus modeling a quiet time, if you want to say. He's by himself, he's praying. To properly care for oneself, 
It's important to spend time with God. You need to do that with him. You need to pray. Whether you do that at night or you do that in the morning, that's up to you. I have five kids, y'all, so I have to do it in the morning before they get up because once they get up or if I try to do it after work, it's a wrap. It's not happening. So I do it in the morning where I get time with the Lord. But some of y'all don't wake up till midnight. So, I mean... Don't, don't act like that, ain't y'all. Some of y'all, your wheels start turning at midnight, and that's when your creative juices start going. Wherever, whatever time of day that is for you, all I'm saying is spend time with the Lord. Pray. Get in your word. Spend time with God. Mark 6, 31 through 32 says this. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. In this scripture, we see that it's good to have time to yourself and rest. We need sleep. We need time alone. We need hobbies. Now, this does not mean be a sloth and be lazy. The Bible talks to that also. So we, that's not what it's saying. The Bible speaks to that. But hear me, it's saying it's okay to rest. It's okay to eat. It's okay to be an introvert. Sometimes you need to get that time by yourself. Listen to me. I'm your pastor. I love people. I'm around people all the time. I spend time with them. But sometimes, y'all, I don't want to see none of y'all. I mean, sometimes I just need time by myself. There's nothing wrong with that. You need that. Matthew 15, 32 says this. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse along the way. This is when Jesus feeds the 4,000 with a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread that he has and 20,000 if you want to count the women and children. He's feeding thousands of people, thousands of people. Now, he doesn't preach to them. He feeds them. Don't miss it. Don't over-spiritualize it. Yes, there's a miracle happen here, happening here, but Jesus just gives these people what they need at that moment. How many of y'all been hangry before? Come on now, y'all be honest. When, when I get hungry, y'all, I get hangry. If I'm like, if it's over the top and I haven't eaten in a while, I get mad. I get angry. And I, you don't want to talk to me. I don't want to talk to anybody else. My little man DJ sadly took after me with that. He gets mad and hangry and starts screaming and stuff too. We get there. We get hangry. And here it is in this passage, Jesus is like, these are some hangry folks. They ain't ate. I need them to eat. He sets a precedent for them to eat. He sets this in this text. He gives them food. Make sure you take proper care of yourself. He wants you to be healthy. He gives the people food right now. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, in the context, this talks about sexual immorality, but I believe it also applies on an even greater level to our worth in God, that, that we're precious and we hold great value to God, that he's, he's given us these bodies. These are not our bodies, that we, we're now to steward over these bodies. This is his body he's given to us. That, now, that means, hear me, that we should work out. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to walk around here looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger or nothing like that. But you shouldn't look like Shrek either. No, I'm for real. I got to say that because some of us out here, we kind of looking sloppy. You know, that's just like what we do. 
And, 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 and some people think that, and I, I'm honest about this and I'm sad, it's sad because Christianity has taught this so much, is that sometimes we think that Christian means that we need to dress like a pauper and not work out. So that means only workout I'm going to get is I'm going I'm to get this workout with my fingers when I flip this page of this Bible, but I'm going to die of heart disease, you know. No, no, work out. We need to take care of this body. This God has given us to steward this body, and that means that you need to take care of it. I'm not telling you you got to look like a fitness model, but you need to take care of yourself. Avoid the things that may be physically or spiritually harmful to you. Our bodies don't just belong to us. But I know the question with all of this is like, well, Pastor D, that sounds all good. I get what you're saying. But what's this look like? So this is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to share what this looks like for me personally as a pastor as, and with my family. Um, five kids and, and, and being married, what this has looked like for me over the, the years. And hopefully what you can do is you can take this and you can apply it to your life also. If you cannot do that, then my wife and I, on the 19th when this series is over, we're going to do a Q&A, a question and answer after the second service. So what I want you to do as I'm, as I'm preaching today, you have permission, don't be texting everybody else, but you can text your questions to this number on the screen, 224-216-4062. We're going to try to get to all those questions on the 19th, unless it's out of bounds, I may not answer it, but hey, we're going to try to get to those questions, we're going to spend a good time together walking through that on just how do we take care of ourselves, how do we enter this new year together, so I want you to be texting those questions in there. Another thing is I'm walking through this and how we care for ourselves and how I care for myself. I don't want, please don't think that I'm trying to tell you that I'm the standard or my wife and I are the standard and we have it all together. Just watch us be like us. No, no, no. We start, we're still figuring it out too. We got five kids, which means that it changes all the time. But we have learned that over the years, these things that we've put in practice have intentionally helped us biblically to take care of ourselves. Okay? So I want to give those things to you. Number one, the first thing I do is I make sure to take care of myself outside of family time. This way it's still done, but it does not affect time with my family. I'm a scheduled guy. Anybody that knows me is that I'm a scheduled guy. You come up to me in church and you say you want to get a meeting, I'm going to be like, hey, email me because I'm going to forget it. I need to put it in my schedule. I'm a scheduled guy because I have five kids and we have a growing church. And with all of that, it's easy to fly by the seat of my pants and not get anything done because there's always more to do. Number one, because there's always more to do. And number two, because I don't, I'm, you're, at any given moment, especially in today's society, you're not cognitive of all that you're really doing at one time. I mean, we live in a social media age where we're getting bombarded by media and, and information and people all the time. And honestly, I don't think we were made to take in all of that at one time. Because what it does is it creates this person, or at least us, where we can't stop anymore. We don't know how to slow down. We just keep going and going and going. Let me compare this. Let me see this. What's happening on this social media? What's happening here? I got to be here. I got to be here. We're all these different places, and we don't know how to slow down. So in my schedule, I've built out time to work out. It's in my schedule, quiet time, me time, basketball's even in there. If you look at my schedule, you'll see all of this in there. And it's not during times with my family, but it's during the work day. Because if you're not healthy, if you're not working out, if you're not doing the things that spur your affections on for Jesus, you will not be a good spouse. 
You will not be a good daddy or mommy, a good friend or a good Christian. And with all of this family, just as you know what makes your family tick, what makes them go, what makes those people around you go, your significant other, your spouse, those friends, what makes them go, they should know what makes you go too. They need to know what makes you tick. I learned this early on in my marriage with my wife. Um, I didn't know this too much because I, I had been doing all of these things. I was regimenting all this stuff that I was doing before I got married. And so we got married and, and I think we were in college our senior year and I'm like, I'm gonna play basketball again. And it was like the third time that week. And it was three, it's three things that I really like doing. I, I love reading good books. I, I love uh, listening to great music and I love playing ball. Those are things that I like doing. So I was doing all these things. And this week, I'm like, I'm going to go play basketball again. And I'm walking out the house. And she's like, where are you going? I'm like, what? The first year of marriage, I'm like, I'm going to play basketball again. And we get in this argument about basketball. And I'm like, this woman crazy. She's trying to take away basketball from me. This is, this is what I love doing. What's wrong with you? I've been playing all my life. So I just walk out the house and I get in the car and uh, I talk to my mentor. I'm like, man, she's trying to take this away from me, this and that. He's like, D, cool down, calm down. And he said, man, have you ever told her that you just need to play basketball? And I was like, what? And it hit me like a ton of bricks that basketball is not just something that I do. Basketball is something I need to do. I need to be on the court and let that competitive edge go. I need to be out there where I'm not anybody else but DP, the basketball player. I don't have to be nothing else on that court. And so now, you know, I went home and I, I had, we had a great conversation. So 11 or so years later, married now, whenever I get frustrated, if I'm down and out, my wife was, uh-uh, get out, go, go play basketball. Because <laughs> she knows that when I come back, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to be ready to take on my kids, all of that stuff. So she says, go ahead. Family, make sure your spouse or those that are close to you know what makes you go. Yes. Last thing I'll say in this area is to have people around you that care about you. And I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm not talking about people. Have a group around you that care about you and your family. Every leader or person needs people that are for you that can correct you, that can challenge you, and that can encourage you. I have brothers in my life that know me, which means that they know that they don't have to ask me if my work is getting done. They don't really ask me about how the church is going in terms of, am I getting the work done here? They call and they ask me, D, you resting? Man, what, what's, what's your Monday look like? Your day, what, what'd, you, what'd you do this week? They, they make sure that I'm doing it. They don't ask, they know I'm gonna get the church stuff done. How's your family? How you doing? Matter of fact, I take July off every year. Some of you all know this. I do that to get vision for our year coming up at, 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 during that fall season for our church. I'm developing the preaching schedule, all these different things, getting time with my family too. I do that every year. And during that time, uh, some of my friends know this too. So my boy out in New York, his name is Brandon Watts. He's a pastor out there. He called me in June and he said, man, July is coming up, D. What you, what you, gonna, what you doing? What's your schedule look like? And I'm like, man, I'm traveling here. I'm doing this. I'm preaching here. I'm doing that. And he's like, what? When are you resting? And I got mad. I'm like, what you mean when I'm resting? I ain't at the church. And he's like, no, you're not resting. What's time look like for you and your family? 
And so, you, family, hear me. You need people around you that are not afraid of you and that can challenge you and correct you for your own good and your family's good. Number two, and this may not apply to you just yet, but I make my family my number one priority in ministry in my life. This may sound very simple, but what I mean is that your family is not along for a ride with you. No, they're, they're not just along on the ride with you. No, they're in it with you, which means that they're living the vision with you. When I first dreamed of church planting, I, I, I knew we were going to do this, and I knew six months before my wife. And so I went and told her, I said, babe, I think the Lord is calling me to church plant. The first thing she told me is no. And I said, okay, well, let me keep praying. And I started praying, and I prayed for six months straight, gathering all my materials, everything I needed together. And six months later, she came to me and said, okay, it's time to do this. This is what I know the Lord wants us to do. But I didn't move doing anything outside of my household, talking to any organizations or raising money or doing anything like that until she was ready to go with me. They're not just on a ride with you. They're in it with you, family. Hear me. A red flag in church planning or Christian marriage period is a spouse that does not agree with the call on your life and is not fully in it with you. Now, I do not mean physically laboring with you doing the same job. I'm talking about in spiritual agreement with you. I've never asked my wife to do anything or run any ministries at this church. But hear me, there is no Renewal Church of Chicago without Kaylee Puckett being in it with me. It does not happen without her. She doesn't run any ministries or anything like that. She believes her biggest ministry is to walk with me, to raise our children with me, and to hold tight to the vision that God has given both of us. Key word, both of us. A divided marriage in terms of church planning, ministry, work, vision, or timing is a recipe for disaster. Don't miss that. You cannot properly care for yourself if you do not care for your family. Also, with making my family number one, I don't make my kids do anything they don't want to do involving church. They're not drug babies. Like, I don't, y'all ever heard that? Like, I don't, I don't y'all, some of y'all were drugged to church. So your grandma drug you to church and your mama drug you to church. And now you don't like church or you just came back to church. I don't drag my kids to church. I don't do that. They're not here all day long or nothing like that. They, they're here with us. Yes, they got to come, but they love being at this church. They love it. And you know why? Because they honestly don't care if daddy's going to take out the garbage or I'm going to church. They just want time. They just want to be there. So, so if I can take my kids with me when I go away on trips or things like that, or if I'm going to church, I take them with me. My oldest, she's still, she's 10 years old. She still begs me to go to worship rehearsal every week. Worship rehearsal. I'm like, why do you want to go to rehearsal? She just wants time. They ride with me to church and they get mad if they can't stay for both services and then play basketball with me after church. I mean, when, they tear, when we tear down the church, they're here, they grab them, grab them some poles, grab them whatever they can to be a part of that because they just want to be where mommy and daddy are. They don't care. They just want to be with their parents. My kids, they also know my schedule because, and, and don't, don't hear me wrong, it's not because I gave it to them. Okay, they know my schedule, 
But at the beginning of church planning, when we started this venture, I tried my best to set a regiment. Tried to set a regiment so they know that Monday is daddy's day off. They know daddy is going to be on the court. He's going to be doing some guys up. You know, he's going to get it in. He's going to come home and he's going to be tired. He's just going to be hanging out. That's his day off. But they also know Tuesday is daddy's long day. So he's in meetings all day. He's doing different things with the staff. And he may get home after we're already in the bed. We may see him the next morning. But they know that's daddy's long day. Every other day, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you know, dad will be home at six. Hopefully, he's going to be there to sit at the table with us and, and pray for us at night, and then he's going to tuck us in. And then Friday, we get pizza, and we're going to have a movie every week. That's what we, my family, my kids look to this every week. But don't get me wrong. I did not say build a schedule around your kids. They just know mine. And here's why there's a big distinction between the two. Children need to have a healthy understanding the fact that mommy and daddy work, which means that the world does not revolve around them. If you don't do that with your kids, your self-care is going to go down the drain. 21st century parents, if I can speak candidly, we're failing at this. And then we're wondering, looking at our kids, like, what's wrong with them? Well, we're teaching them that the world revolves around them because we want to be at everything and anything under the sun and give them, give them everything that we never had. No, that's not parenting. Those children will one day, our children will one day grow up and we're molding and shaping them one way or another in how to deal with the world. And we're setting them up for disappointment if they think it's going to revolve around them. So this means daddy can't be at every practice and every game that you have. It's not that I don't want to be there. It's just reality. I can't be at everything. But if I can, I'm going to try to make it to everything I can be. Family, that's self-care. That's you not failing your kids and trying to live in this crazy maker reality of pleasing them by doing everything for them. That's not parenting. With that, I put everything with my family in the schedule. It's all in my schedule. Liz could tell you that she's looking at my schedule. It's all in the schedule. Everything dealing with my family, I schedule out like a meeting that I cannot miss. Because you can easily say you're going to do something with the right heart and mind for your family and then have something take their place. So they're not just a priority in the words that I say. I write it down on paper. I schedule a date night with my beautiful wife every week. Every week, there's money in our budget every week to go on a, on a date. And it may just be going to Starbucks every week. It's not, it, it doesn't have to be over the top, fancy restaurant or anything like that. It's Starbucks sometimes so we can just look at each other's faces. I just want to see you. I ain't seen you all week. We just want to hang out. And so we do that every week because here's the reality. I've been dating her for 15 plus years and I'm going to keep on dating her. And here's the reality because if you don't date your spouse... That means you're dating something or someone else. Some job or something else that you're dating or someone else that you're dating. So date your spouse. This is not an option, but a priority. And people around you need to see it and know that it's done. I take each one of my kids out individually every month. I give them the utmost attention I can in that. And sometimes it's just a car ride to get some ice cream or something. It's nothing over the top. Again, I want to know how they tick. I want to know what makes them go. If I don't give them that attention, someone else is going to give it to them. 
outside of my wife, my children are my number one disciples. They're my number one disciples outside of my wife. Now, I just mentioned something that maybe you're like, what does that mean? Which, which, which is what makes them tick? In other words, what spurs their affections? What makes them go? What, what, makes, them, what, what makes their little engines run? So, for example, my wife, some of y'all know this because y'all have done some workout classes with her, but she's a personal trainer. And she loves working out. Some people don't love working out. She loves working out. She's a personal trainer, and she works for a supplement company. So that means that when Kaylee's stressed out or she's frustrated or something, I'll be like, just like she tells me to go get, play basketball, I'm like, go work out. Go, go get your, go do your 15-minute hit workout. Do what you need to do. We even, my office, she kicked, no, nah, she didn't kick me out. I turned my office in the house into a gym so she could have a home gym just for that reason. It's because that makes her go. She goes downstairs or she gets her workout in or she's at home with the kids. She can go downstairs during nap time and make sure she gets that in. She has the space to do that. And I try to give it to her as much as I can. My oldest, she's a quality time girl. She loves being around, she, which means that I have to give her the utmost attention and affection. She needs affirmation a lot from me because she's a quality time person. Family, what I'm trying to say is make, make sure you know what those people around you in your family or your spouse, those people that are closest to you, make sure you know what makes them go. I want each family member in my family to bloom like a flower because of the way I'm caring and loving for them. Also, take vacations. Figure out healthy rhythms for you and your family. If you have kids, put their school breaks in your calendar and plan around, plan work around that to maximize that time with them. Don't apologize for taking a vacation. We, we apologize for taking vacations too much. Oh, I gotta go on this. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll be back. No, take your vacation. People should want this for you and your family and they need to understand Who's first? Also with that, I want you to pay attention to your spouse. If you're married, pay attention to your wife or your husband, your, your spouse, how you all are doing, because that date night once a week might not be enough. And for our, us, it's, it's not enough sometimes. So what we do is once a quarter, we do an extended time. We do a, either an overnight stay downtown or someplace else, but, and then twice we make it a longer extended vacation. So in the winter we go away, and in the summer we do something for at least a week where our kids are with family members or friends, and we go away. Because this is the number one ministry in your life, okay? Your spouse, if you're married or when you get married, that's your number one ministry right there. And four times a year, I ain't say 50 times a year, Four times a year is not too much. Four times a year to get away. That's on top of the dates every week. Maybe you don't have kids. You're like, well, we see each other each, every day. No, that's not a date. You need to be intentional. Get out the house. Do something with each other. Figure out what spurs your affections. Go do that with one another. We schedule that out four times a year. And with that, I know there's some of y'all here that are single and saying, well, I don't know. This ain't got nothing to do with me. Here's the reality. Here's what I want you to hear me say. Being single, yeah, you may have a little bit more time than someone who's married. You may have more time than someone who has kids. But it's okay for you to take a break and go on vacation. Okay? Don't let people make you feel bad for taking time away. That happens too much. Well, you, you're single. You got too much time. No, you, no. 
It's okay for you to get away. And see, what most people don't realize is everything I'm saying here, yes, I'm married with five kids and all that, but this discipline that I'm talking about to put in place and all this where God has helped me instill all this now, the scheduling, the budget that I've talked about in the past, vacation and all of that, that didn't start when I got married. I didn't flip a switch and then just start doing all of these things. No, no, there's no switch for that. Hear me, start caring for yourself now and do not apologize for it. Here's why. It will pay off in the long run for you and for other people. Which leads to the last thing I want to talk about, which you may have caught, is the outcome of self-care. We care for ourselves, not just for our own good, but so that we can care for other people. Do not miss this or you will miss the crux of true biblical self-care, which makes it different from the world or society. Scripture says to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Many times, again, we miss that last word, yourself, or, again, we overvalue it. We are to love ourselves in order to love others. Friends, hear me because this is important. We've twisted what it means to love our neighbor. We've twisted that up. This does not mean to feel or empathize to the point to where you get rid of all biblical standards of what the Bible calls sin. Where you see somebody and you say, you do you, I'm going to do me. It's cool. That's me loving you. That's not love. That's, actually, that's worse than hatred. Because here's the reality, as a Christian, if you know Jesus and you know what Jesus has saved you from, where he's pulled you out of the muck and the mire, where you were in that mess, he pulled you out of it, he loved you enough to save you, you know that truth about Jesus, but yet you see somebody over here that you love, you care about, living overtly against the word of God, but yet you don't love or care about them enough to say, hey, hey, hey here, here's the truth, here's what God has done in my life, here has, here, here's how he's loved me, but yet you say you do you and I, that's that's hate to not share good news with somebody how your life has changed because you once were in that same place that's not good that, that's not love that's worse than hatred I ain't gonna share this goodness with you to make it plain I, 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 I told some of y'all this before but it's kind of like growing up eating McDonald's your whole life You've been eating McDonald's your whole life, smashing on them quarter pounders and, you know what I'm saying, the 20-piece nuggets and stuff. You, you've been eating McDonald's, but now you graduated to eating five guys, and you, you got this, you know, all Cheval. You waited four hours for that burger, and you, you're not you eating a, a burger that's never been frozen with all the good toppings and the sautéed mushrooms on it and everything. That's sweet goodness, but yet your brother or your sister's over here smashing on McDonald's still, and you're like, man, this is good, but you don't tell them about it? Y'all, that's hatred. They need to know about this goodness, too. It's kind of like my little man DJ, if you're a parent, DJ walking over trying to touch a hot stove. And instead of me stopping him from touching the hot stove, I, I just let him touch the hot stove. And I said, well, you learned your lesson now. That's not good parenting. That's not love. That's me hating him. Instead, I'm going to say, DJ, don't touch the stove, bro, because if you touch the stove, it's going to burn you. It's going to hurt. Now, that doesn't mean that he ain't going to touch it afterwards anyway. You know, we all little sinners and stuff, so we mess up. And he, he, he might touch the stove, but at least I loved him enough to tell him not to touch it. Y'all see where I'm going with this? Yeah. 
I shared the good news with them. And this does not mean, hear me, beat people down with truth. Okay? But a Christian should not be able to blend in with society. People should notice something different about you. How you care for yourself. Because as Jesus said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Family, to love someone is to speak truth but embody grace because we're all sinful and we're all in daily need of Jesus. We are to love regardless of where a person is in hopes that through that love one will see Jesus because that's exactly what Jesus did for us when he saw us in our sin and loved us in our sin and saved us from that place. We're not called to judge or hate. We're called to love people. God will one day come back and judge, but until then, we're called to love. See, when I think of loving people and loving your neighbor as yourself, a lot of times I think of my wife. And sometimes I'll catch her in a room, in our bedroom, and she'll be in the room and just be crying. And I'm like, and I've learned it over the years that in that time that my wife, I know that her heart is, is conflicted because she's, She's, she's probably have her Bible open. She's, and I know what's happening. She's thinking about the world around her. She's thinking about what's happening around her. She's sad about all the sin and all the trauma and all the problems. But yet she's conflicted or overwhelmed because on the other side, she knows the joy of being with Jesus. She knows the, the, that he saved her, that he loved her. So, so here we, she's sitting there and she's overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed by all of the things around her. Because she wants to share with them all the love of Jesus. She wants to tell everybody about Jesus. She wants to tell everybody about how he loved her and how he loves them. And she's overwhelmed by all of the chaos and all of the mess in the world. And here's the reality. I'm not trying to make my wife a saint or nothing like that. But if you've ever really come in contact with an almighty God, and you actually understand what Jesus has done in your life, where he saw you in that place, that messed up place you were in, that place that you didn't have a way out of, the things that you kept struggling with, the place where you couldn't figure out how to get past this sin. You're trying to make it up the ladder or you're trying to do this or do that. And, and Jesus says, look, look, all you need is in me. And he saves you out of that place. When you realize who Jesus is and you know he's taking you from there and he's continued to continually working on you, creating you, to the image he created you to be when you have that experience then you can't help but to tell everybody about this good news and this good Jesus that's what I'm saying this is what Isaiah this experience he has in Isaiah chapter 6 when he comes in contact with an almighty God he comes in contact with God he's high and lifted up the scripture says and he sees God on the throne he says woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king family don't miss it he doesn't just notice his own sin but he notices the sins of everybody else around him. So when God says, who will I send? Isaiah doesn't say, mm, I ain't going, them people messed up. They did this to me, they did that to me. They're, they're so grimy, God. He doesn't do that. No, 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 no. What does he do? He says, send me. I, I'm a go. Send me, God. I don't even know what you want me to do, but send me. I'm going. 
Family, God has called believers to see him and in his midst the mess in our lives, but at the same time, the hope through belief in Jesus. And then he said, now go out and share that with someone else. Share that hope and that love with other people, no matter who they are, because that's exactly what I did for you. I loved you. See, that's love. That's care. Friends, self-care is biblical, but it's only done well when we understand how much Christ has cared for us first. Self-care is not just about you loving yourself, but instead it's, it's in loving oneself that now we're able to show off the glory of God to a world that needs to know Jesus. See, Christians don't just love themselves for themselves, but we do so that the picture of our lives, if you want to say, is overflowing now with the goodness of Jesus on a world that needs to know God. You ever seen an overflowing water picture before? Water just flowing over the edges, dropping onto everything around it. Family, here's my prayer for us in 2020. My prayer is, family, that we would love God and then through our love God, loving God, that we learn how to now truly take care of ourselves and through that and him working in us, we would now be an overflowing pitcher of water now, blessing all those people around us because of what he's doing in us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. I know there's some of us in here that struggle with just this whole thing of taking care of my, their selves. Some people put it on the back burner. Some of us, we think of it too much. Some of us think that we're not worthy. But God, you saw fit that all of us were worth Jesus stepping out of heaven. You loved us that much. So who are we to say that we're not worthy? God, I pray that we would find our worth in you. I pray that we would first know how much you've loved us and that we'd operate from that love knowing that we're approved in you. We're fully accept, accepted in you, Jesus. We don't need to find that anywhere else but in you. And that would dictate how we walk, how we talk, and how we live our lives. God, if there's someone struggling with that truth, Holy Spirit, I pray that you have your way right now in their hearts. And they would call on the name of Jesus. Knowing all that you've done for us on that cross. Making a way for us to be with God. In peace. Father, we love you and we thank you. Be our strength in this new year. All that we need in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.